to the promise Stories are true But Jesus makes all things new
Good morning, Providence. Thank you. Um, I would like to welcome all of you who are here in person, as well as tuning in on the live stream. Um, if you have recently begun to attend Providence, you may or may not have noticed that in the back of the worship center, we have um, kiosks for our guests. And on those guest kiosks is a welcome card that we would um, like you to go back and complete. It will just enable you to begin to get some general information from us and our, our Friday emails. We've also added back this week um, our prayer cards. Um, we've had lots of people through the website or um, just pieces of paper put prayer requests. And we have the privilege as a staff to confidentially pray for the church body of Providence on Monday mornings. So if you would like to um, give us a prayer request, you can write it on here, put it in the box in the back, or hand it to a staff member. Um, some of you may have already begun to use our QR codes. Uh, this is a wonderful thing that's happened in the last year, as we have not been using paper as much. So even now, on that slide, you can get out your phone, um, take a picture, um, and you'll get a link, depending on your phone, um, that you can then pull up our sermon outlined and our order of service. We've added the order of service so that um, for new folks or even people who may not remember that I'm Kathy Mack, the Director of Administration, um, you can see not only what's happening in service today, but you can also see the names of the people who are participating in the service. So please take advantage of that. This Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. is our Providence play date, which is for moms of preschool children. You do not need to register. You can just come with your children and they can play or make a craft while you have some much needed adult time. We are also blessed to have Cornerstone Pregnancy Center as one of our ministry partners. You may have received, hopefully, an email from Don Garrett this week um, outlining um, how we're going to support them in their spring donation drive. So this year we're asking um, the people of Providence to donate um, formula, new, onesies, sleepers, nursery items, or maternity clothes. The email gives you details about that. Also on the email there are links to Amazon or Target and lists of specific items that Cornerstone has put together that you can have shipped directly to them. But if you love to shop, you can also shop and we're gonna have a drop-off day here at Providence on Friday, March 26th. And there'll be more information coming out about that um, in the weeks to come. Uh, next Sunday is Discover Providence. This is an opportunity for maybe you've this is your first day at Providence. Maybe you've been attending Providence for um, a couple of months even, but you have questions. Um, who is Providence? What do we believe? Um, how did Providence get started? What's your vision? This is the time for you to come, either at the 9.30 or the 11, 11 o'clock service, um, and get some of those questions answered and meet a few staff members and elders as well. We do ask if you need childcare at the 11, 9.30, your children would be in Sunday school, that you do register so that we can uh, plan for that. 
Also, some of you may be aware, but some may not, that next weekend is daylight savings time um, change. So I don't even have to say turn your clocks forward because most of our devices do that automatically for us. Um, but just be aware of the time change. Also, if you read in the Friday email, you registered for services, Lord willing, for the last time this week. So we will not have registration uh, for services. I'm sure you're gonna miss Lisa's Monday email that she sends out to you. But there will be registration for children until we have enough volunteers to fully staff the back. So it'll look a little different on Monday, so be looking for that. Um, I was sitting in the 8 a.m. service and looking around, and I was thinking, a year ago, we had no idea what the next week would bring as we began to shut things down. And I just started reflecting on God's provision for us as a church and what um, a blessing it is to see each of you in person. So as we go to the Lord and worship today, um, let us just be thankful and worship him with all of our hearts. Thank you. Well, church, with that, let's stand together. And let's approach the throne with confidence. Father, you are the God of all. There is no God like you. Lord, we put our gods at your feet this morning. I confess, Lord, for myself, they are many. We thank you that it pleased you to send Christ Jesus to be born of a woman under the law to live blamelessly before you, to always do what pleased you. And having done so, he even willfully and joyfully went to a cross, despising its shame. Father, thank you for placing our shame at the cross, that it might be crucified there, that your wrath might be poured out on it there, that it might die. And on the third day, our glorious Savior would be raised in newness of life. This is our hope this morning. Father, thank you that he sits at your right hand now, having accomplished the work you gave him to do. He lives and reigns. The promise of his spirit now remains in us. Lord, may he prompt us to praise you. May your spirit prompt us to delight in Christ. May we leave here changed, transformed more into his image, into his likeness. We cannot do this on our own. We need you, and we need your spirit. He is the living waters. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Time. 
find rest in the scripture that we read, the truth that we read this morning in Psalm 23. Shall we together? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Now let's sing these words to the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In green pastures, he makes me lie down. He restores my soul and leads me on for his name, for his grace.
morning. I'm going to use a few verses from Psalm 46 as a guide for our time in, in prayer together. So let's bow our heads together and, and pray. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. Father, you are a refuge and strength to us. You are a very present help in trouble. Lord, though the earth should change, though countries change and governments change, systems of thought and ways of life change, though the earth should shake and rumble and slip into history, though the waters of life roar and foam, though even the mountains quake at their swelling pride, Father, we will not fear. We will not fear. Because there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Father, we here are your city. We are your house. We are the work of your hands, and your spirit flows into us. We are your place, your dwelling place for all generations, Father, your church, your people. You are in the midst of us, Father, and we will not be moved. You will help your city, your dwelling place, when the morning dawns. And Father, we come to you today, and we bring some requests to you. Father, we pray for our country, for our community, and church, as this pandemic, Father, period, slowly comes to an end. Father, help us to be your people, trusting you, loving our neighbors, loving our friends, Father, loving our coworkers. Lord, help us to not be cynical or critical in spirit, but help us to love, to be your, to be your city, to be your people in the midst of, of our nation, Father, and to live out your presence in our lives. Father, we pray for the initiatives of our church. We pray for the upcoming baptism class. Lord, we pray that for those who desire to identify with you publicly, we pray you would draw those people out and that they would understand the whole meaning of baptism and that they would invite family and friends and that, Lord, people would see who you are and what you're like through the transformed lives of these individuals. Father, we pray for the outreach of this church, for Love, Inc., our partner, for the international student outreach. Father, for each of us as we talk with our neighbors and coworkers and family members. Father, make your love for your people, the fragrance of the gospel of this church, 
travel outward through these ministries. Father, we pray for that. Father, we pray for the, the Perkins family, for Zach. Father, we, we praise you that his tumor is shrinking, but Lord, we pray that it would continue to do so. And for his parents, Father, David and Carolyn, Father, that they would be strengthened and encouraging uh, to him. So Lord, we pray for his continued healing and the continued work of modern medicine in his body. And Father, we pray uh, finally for Caleb as he brings a critical message about how we are to live as your people in this challenging assignment that we have in the world right now, that you have given us this moment in history. So Father, we pray for him. Lord, speak through him to us as he brings your word to us. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Amen. Will you please stand as I share our passage of scripture this morning? I'm going to read God's word from the book of Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 4-1. This is God's word. It's God's word for us today. It's God's word for you today. That's the passage that I'm going to read. God's word for you. Philippians 3, 7 through 4-1. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard into which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, 
who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Caleb. I'm the pastor of Student Ministries here. And uh, before we dive into God's Word, uh, would you pray with me? Father, you tell us through the temptation of Jesus that man does not live on bread alone, but by the words that proceed from your mouth. And so uh, we confess this morning that we need to be nourished by you, to be fed by your words. And so our request is simple. God, would you be among us this morning? Would you be at work uh, comforting us, convicting us, and transforming us into the image of your Son? Father, would you speak through me during this time of ministry, and would you and you alone be glorified? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Everyone has a, a soapbox, right? That thing that they love to talk about, and it just seems to show up in every single conversation. Well, when I was at Moody, one of my professors' soapbox was relationships. Uh, the joke was that if you took Greek grammar with him, you were actually getting intro to dating. And should you dare to take Greek exegesis, you were getting intro to engagement. And all jokes aside, though, he had some excellent relational nuggets, like this one. Oh, guys, right now there's a girl that has caught your eye, and you are being winsome, and you're being affectionate, and you'll keep this up until you're married, and then you'll think, I've done it, I've got her, I can stop. And that is a lie. Your efforts cannot decrease, they must increase once you get married, because the race is not over. In fact, it has just begun which is very similar to what the Apostle Paul is talking about in our text this morning. Now, our text is actually a continuation of what we were talking about last week. And uh, so if you, if you weren't here, the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3 is Paul revealing to us how we might be found righteous. Now, righteous and righteousness are words that are often mystified in the church, but they simply mean to be acceptable to God. And in verses 3 through 5, Paul uh, reveals that he tried several different avenues to be found righteous before God. He appeals to his lineage, to his nationality, to his occupation, to his religious adherence. But none of these were effective. They were all losses because righteousness is only gained by knowing Jesus and having a personal relationship with him. And so our text closed last week with Paul finding what he was looking for. He, he found the way to be acceptable before God, to experience his life-giving, life-transforming power. And the great news was he didn't have to do anything for it. 
It was a gift from God in Jesus. And after such a discovery, you might expect Paul to say something like this in verse 12. So kick back, relax, because Jesus has got you covered. But that's not what he says, is it? Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, Paul is not implying that Jesus simply closed the gap and now our efforts do make us acceptable to God. He's saying that the correct response to God's saving work is to strive after him. See, accepting Jesus is not the finish line. It's the starting point. And what Paul wants us to see is that if we have come to know Jesus as our Savior and King, if he has made us acceptable to God, then we need to be putting in the work to strive after him. And we're going to unpack that by looking at three different things. We're going to look at the method of striving, the problem with striving, and then the motive for striving. Paul uh, expounds this method for striving after Jesus in verse 13, where he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul says that there is one thing that encompasses this method of striving, and it's, it's actually two things. First, he forgets what lies behind. See, the past functions a lot like a ball and chain. It can slow us down and outright prevent us from moving forward. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you can understand why his past could shackle him in place. I mean, could you imagine Paul lying in bed at night, replaying in his mind the death of Stephen as rock after rock chipped away and tore apart his body? Or could you imagine Paul trying to get the screams of families being torn apart and handed over to the authorities before he came to Christ out of his head? Maybe you can. Uh, perhaps your past sins, your past failures keep you up at night. Perhaps your, your, your past transgressions keep you shackled in place, afraid to get close to God and remind him just who you were. Can I remind you what our reality is in Christ? Romans 8.1 tells us, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is who we are. No longer condemned because of Jesus. The ball and chain is no longer attached. And that has to be the ruling narrative in our heads. Because if we let the past tell the story, we will never strive past it. But failures are not the only thing that we have to forget about and leave behind us. We also need to shrug off past success. Uh, did any of you see the, uh, the video of LeBron James getting back to the gym just days after he won his fourth championship? It was like less than a week, and he's in there pumping iron, getting ready for the next season. And you see something like that, and you're like, LeBron, chill. You just won. Relax. Enjoy it. But do you know why he did it? It's because he wants to keep winning. And if he is fixated on past achievements, he's not getting ready for future ones. And the Apostle Paul was the same way. Paul is lauded as the great, one of the greatest missionaries of all time. And at any point, he could have looked around and said, Wow, look at all these churches that have been planted. Look at all these people that have come to know the Lord. I think I can take my foot off the gas a bit. 
but instead he chooses to forget those past accomplishments and keep striving forward. Which I think is, is somewhat of a foreign concept to us when it comes to spiritual things. Uh, maybe like me, you have rested on your laurels from time to time. Maybe you've thought to yourself, I've done a really good job getting up early and spending time with God. I'm sure I could sleep in this week. It'll be fine. Or, or maybe, maybe you've thought, ah, you know, I haven't stumbled in this particular sin in, the while, in a while. I'm sure I don't need to put my guard up this weekend. But such logic doesn't work. We'll never keep moving forward if we are simply replaying the past. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that our past has no value to us. We should certainly learn from our past mistakes. Uh, we should savor the successes of our Christian walk. But if we live there, if we live in the past, we will never move forward. And so part one of, of the method of striving is to forget what lies behind. But we also need to strain forward toward what lies ahead. Now, now I've been using this straining, striving language a lot without really defining it. And, and that's because Paul does that for us in verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He helps us understand striving by using the illustration of running a race. Now think about it. What is the difference between running a race and walking or meandering along? Now, your gait, certainly, the speed and intensity with which you move. But the thing that Paul seems to be zooming in on is actually your gaze, the thing that you are looking at. See, when you go for a walk... Your gaze is all over the place. You're looking at the trees and the birds and whatever. But if you are running a race, you are zeroed in on the finish line. If you go back and watch uh, the final races of the 2016 Olympics and you pay close attention to their eyes, you'll notice something. That even if they are running the hurdles, they never look down. They are fixated with that finish line. And the reason for that is this. They want to win. They want the prize. They're not interested in a participation award. They want the gold. And so they strive. They throw themselves into getting across that finish line. And, and so striving is a full throttle, unencumbered pursuit of Jesus, of living for him and living out the things he has commanded us to do. That is the method of striving. A method that we aren't too keen into putting into effect because it's a lot of work. But the problem actually goes much deeper than simply, we don't want to work too hard at this. Uh, Paul uh, expounds on this problem by looking at a group of people he refers to as the enemies of the cross of Christ, and he does so in verses 18 and 19. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, when we read verses like these, the first thing we want to know is so who's he talking about? Who is Paul describing here? And scholars have thrown out a lot of options for who these people are, but frankly, we don't know. 
The only thing we can say with some matter of certainty is that these individuals are being presented as a contrast to, to how Paul actually wants the Philippians to act. He wants them to be like himself or, or Timothy or Epaphroditus. And so it's worth noting what the problem was with these enemies of the cross of Christ. And the, the nutshell answer to that is the last phrase of verse 19. Their minds are set on earthly things. Now, we tend to dichotomize the heart and the mind, don't we? The heart handles the feelings, the emotions, and the mind handles the logic and the facts. Uh, but in the Bible, the heart and the mind are interwoven together. They make up command central from which uh, motives and desires and thoughts flow out of. And the command central of these people is set on earthly things, which is uh, just another way of explaining what they're focused on. Rather than striving after Jesus, rather than focusing on him, they're, they're focused on something else. Uh, it, it's kind of like when you try to have a conversation with someone who's on their cell phone, right? You're kind of conversing with them, but, but it's quite obvious that their mind is not set on you, it's set on their phone. And you know that because of certain characteristics, right? They're, they keep like doing one of these, or, or their, their part of the conversation is, mm, yep, mm, what, huh? It just becomes clear where their mind is set at. In the same way, there are certain characteristics of those who have set their minds on earthly things, and Paul gives us three of them. One is that their God is their belly. Now, this doesn't mean that in the first century there was a group of people who were worshiping stomachs. Uh, see, the way that, that the gods interacted with man went something like this. Man would want something, like rain for his crops or fertility. And in order to get that, he would do whatever the god demanded. And because of that desire, he was, in effect, ruled by the god. And, and so the idea here is that these people are ruled by their, by, their, by their bellies, by their cravings. The thing that they want, the thing that they have set their minds on, determines how they live their life. It determines how they spend their time, how they spend their money, how they interact with people. It controls them. These people also glory in their shame. Now, I don't know about you, but glory is one of those words that just kind of frustrates me because when people try to define it, they use equally unhelpful adjectives. They'll say things like, well, glory is splendor, or glory is transcendence, or glory is beauty. And, and that doesn't seem to clear it up too much until you turn glory into a verb. See, when you glory in something, or when you glorify something, you are saying that that thing is the supreme thing. That that thing to you is the greatest and most beautiful thing. And so the problem with these enemies of the cross is that they are glorifying or glorying in the wrong things. Paul calls these things shameful things, but that doesn't mean that they are bad things. There are many good things in this world, relationships, financial security, even physical attraction. That is a good thing, but it is undeserving of the title of ultimate thing. Paul also tells us that the end of these individuals leads nowhere good. We've actually seen this word end already in our text, but earlier it's translated as goal or prize. 
And so Paul is saying that whatever these individuals are aiming at, the, the prize that they're trying to achieve is not going to result in them being found acceptable to God. And so these enemies of the cross of Christ were people who were fixated on and striving after earthbound substitutes. And Paul desperately wants the Philippians to not be like them. But I think the sobering reality is we all tend to be like them. What I mean is that when I look at my life and my striving, a lot of times I look more like these people than I do Paul. I am more, my mind is more set on finding time to watch the season finale of WandaVision during a busy weekend than to find time to pray. Or my mind is more prone to wander to a game on my phone than to wander to the Psalms. See, this is the problem with striving. Our mind, our command central is just not in it. It's, it's set elsewhere. Well, then we simply need to try harder. We need to buckle down and force ourselves to set our eyes on Jesus, just like Paul did. And you're right, but it's not that simple. See, striving must be accompanied by the right motive. See, there is more than one motive for striving after Jesus. And I think we see this well illustrated in the movie Chariots of Fire. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with the film, it, it tells the true story of two British Olympic runners, Harold Abrams and Eric Lytle. Uh, Both competed in the 1924 Olympics. Both were excellent runners who took gold in their respective races. But the reason that they ran was markedly different. When asked why he runs, Abrams responds that when the gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. That his acceptance is really dependent on how well he runs. Eric, on the other hand, was different. See, Eric had a very bizarre way of running. When he would run, he would throw his hands back and tilt his face to the sky. And his posture in running was really a testament to why he did it. Uh, He explains in the film to his sister Jenny that when he runs, he feels God's pleasure. Do you hear the difference? One is running to justify himself, to be accepted. The other is running because he is justified, because he has been accepted. And I think the temptation for us in striving is to run like Abrams, that our striving is what determines our acceptance before God. And that just turns us into legalists, those who are doing the right things, but doing so out of fear and slavish obedience. We are doing them to make sure that God has to give us that which he promised. But the striving that Paul has in mind for us is very different. He explains what our mindset, our motive should be in verses 20 and 21. He's contrasting the mind that is set on earthly things by saying, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. See, the way that we run, the way that we strive, it it has to be by setting our minds on the greatness and power of Jesus. He has to be the thing that motivates us, that we fix our eyes on, and here's why that changes things. See, Jesus doesn't just have power. Jesus used that power to set us right. 
He came to earth in human likeness to strive in the way that you and I could not, to live a life in complete obedience and be acceptable to God. But he did this so that you and so he could take your place and mine. Jesus knew no sin and yet became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. God found favor in you so that through Jesus, he made you acceptable. And that's what changes things. See, when we grasp his great love for us, his delight in us, we don't run to earn it. We run because we have it. Now, that doesn't mean that you will enjoy every step you take. I think we bought into this idea that striving is a lot like a runner's high, that, that if we set our minds on Jesus, the Christian life will become effortless and a great delight. And that's true sometimes. But oftentimes, it will be hard work, much like running normally is. But we have to keep striving, just like runners keep running because the end is worth it. He is worth it. But that doesn't mean that we don't need help. I was talking to a friend this week about her first 50-mile race, and, and she was telling me that, that about mile 27 is when she wanted to give up and quit. Uh, she had actually stopped at a first aid tent and was expecting that to be the end of her race until another runner came by and beckoned her on. So the two of them started running together and soon a third joined them. And those three ran the rest of the race together, side by side, encouraging each other, spurring one another on to press on for the prize. And she is convinced that she would have never finished that race alone. Please hear me when I say this. You cannot finish this race alone. You need people who will run with you, who will urge you on, who will rejoice and weep with you throughout the race. That's how we keep our eyes on the prize. That's how we make it to the finish line. So how's your striving? Have you been standing at the starting point like it's the finish line? Or, or maybe you, you've made some headway, but you're not sure how you're going to continue on. If so, can I encourage you to run? Run. Pursue your God and his design for you. But do so with your arms flung wide, your face aimed to the sky, and a brother or sister in Christ beside you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus we have been found acceptable, that because of your great love for us, you have welcomed us with open arms. Father, I confess that we are so quick to um, stand by and, and treat the starting point like the finish line. Would you forgive us in our many, many faults in our striving? Uh, Father, I ask that uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would, uh, you would help us to set our minds on Jesus, that you would give us such a, a desire to pursue you, and that you would surround us with others who will spur us on in that pursuit. Now, Father, would you, would you just be uh, pleased as we continue to sing our, our, your praises this morning? 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, let's respond. Stand together. Praising the King. Is our God, our poor, never failing? Our helper, He amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are grave and armed with on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may it is in the Lord of hosts his name from age to age the same and he must win the battle and though this world with devils filled should threaten to
Well, we're going to continue to worship this morning by partaking in communion. And uh, I ask that uh, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, that he's not your savior and king to abstain from this part. Um, you know, there are uh, two things that we need to constantly be reminded of. Uh, one is that we are, are far worse than we like to think. You and I are far more evil, rotten, despicable uh, than we like to acknowledge. But the other thing is that you and I are far more loved than we could ever imagine. And communion communicates that to us quite vividly. As we take the, the bread, which represents Christ's body, the cup, the contents of which represent his blood, we, we see in vivid detail the great love with which God loved us, that we are purchased not with gold or silver, but with the precious body and blood of Jesus. And so to that end, we are going to uh, celebrate communion. So go ahead and pull back the first tab on your little communion thing. In Luke's gospel, we are told that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Go ahead and open your juice. later that evening, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Father, we thank you for your amazing love in Jesus, that while we were still sinners, while we were still your enemies, Christ died for us. We thank you that, that you have loved us so that uh, that we are now called your children, and so we are. Thank you for your, your great and lavish love, and would you be pleased as we continue to sing your praises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now may you go with him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Press on. Have a good day.
And persecutions come, this light will never fade. For though the hordes of hell may rage, their power will not endure. Our times are in the Father's hand, our anchor is
can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry When my fears like Jericho Build the walls around my soul When my heart is overthrown
Good morning, Providence Church. Thank you. It's always nice to have a response. Um, I'd like to welcome all of you to worship this morning. If you have just begun to recently attend Providence, or even perhaps you've attended for a little while, but um, we, we Actually, we do know you're attending because of registration, but we are now bringing back the welcome card. Um, and so if you would like to give us your name, your email, just basic information so that you can receive some of the information that we send out on a weekly basis, those are back at the guest kiosks on either side of the worship center, and you can put them in the box that's back there. We've also brought back this week our, our prayer request cards. We've noticed that lots of people, which we're so thankful for through the website, are sending um, prayer requests. The staff confidentially prays for the requests of our church body, the cares and the concerns on Monday morning. So if you have a prayer request, please put it on here. You can hand it to a staff member, or you can also put it in the box in the back. So some of you have noticed that we are using QR codes. This is one, um, a wonderful thing that's happened in the last year with technology. Um, so even right now, you could take out your phone, um, even from a distance, and um, open up your camera and take um, a picture, and um, there'll be a link that will open up, and you would be able to see our sermon notes, as well as our order of service. We have, oh, I'm so glad everyone's doing it, wonderful. Um, I, I really, the order of service we brought back so that um, not only will you know what's happening on a given Sunday, but that you will know, perhaps, you may not know that I'm Kathy Mack, the Director of Administration. Um, and so we're putting people's names so that if you're new here, you can get to know the people who are up front as well. This Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. is our Providence play date. So if you are a mother of preschool children, this is an opportunity for you to come. And while they play, your children play or do a craft, you can have some adult time, which is very necessary during this stage of life. So no need to register, just come on Tuesday. Some of you, well, hopefully all of you, received an email from Don Garrett this week about um, Cornerstone Pregnancies Spring Donation Drive. Um, Cornerstone Pregnancy Center is one of our um, ministry partners, and so we're so excited to come alongside them this year, um, and we're asking you to donate specific things, formula, or new onesies, sleepers, nursery items, or maternity clothes. In that email are all the specifics. If you didn't receive it, you can let one of the staff members know. Another reason to make sure we have your email. Um, but there's also links in there this year to Target and Amazon that send you directly to items that Cornerstone Pregnancy feel that they need. Um, if you're somebody who doesn't wanna do that online shopping and you love to shop in person, that's wonderful. You can go and shop. And then we're gonna have a drop-off day on March 26, um, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. But you have lots of time to think about it. We just wanted to get that out there for everyone to have time to shop. Also, um, next Sunday, on March the 14th, we're having Discover Providence at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Discover Providence is our time um, for people who've recently begun to attend Providence 
and may have questions like, how did Providence get started? What do you believe? What ministries are there at Providence? What's the vision of Providence? Well, this is the time for you to come and find out the answers to some of those questions and also a time to meet some of our staff as well as some of our elders. Um, we do need you to register, especially if you need childcare at 9.30. Hopefully you will have your children in already registered for Sunday school, but at 11, we'll have special childcare for those who need it. I do want to remind everybody who in here, I guess I should ask, knows that it's daylight savings time next weekend. The change is coming <laughs> for all of us. So we will be springing forward. I do not have to say as much anymore, turn your clocks ahead because your devices do it automatically. But be warned, next weekend there is a, there is a time change. But there's also another change that you may have seen in the Friday email that we will not be worship, uh, registering for worship services any longer. So um, no registration except for children. So that Monday email that you will receive if you um, have children that you're um, having at the 930 service in Sunday school, you still will need to register your children. So I sat here this morning at the 8 a.m. service and I thought to myself, Wow, a year ago, we had no idea what was going to happen in the next week and the changes that would, would come upon our lives. Little did we know that it would go on for a year as well. So I just was filled with thankfulness of the Lord's provision for us during this last year and the privilege to see your faces here on Sunday mornings. And so this morning, I mean, it moved me to just worship the Lord today with a full heart and joy and gladness. So let's do that together as Ian and the Kuipers lead us. Thank you, Kathy. Well, church, good morning. Let's stand together and proclaim with joy the wonders of our God. Let's pray. Father, you are our rock, you're a mighty fortress, you are eternal, you're sovereign, and Lord, we know that you are also good, faithful, merciful, kind, and forgiving. As far as the east is from the west, your word says, so far have you removed our transgressions, not in anything that we have done, our perfections, our our. Uh, striving, but only by Christ, by his sacrifice on our behalf, by his being raised from the dead for the glory of the church, that we could have that hope, that newness of life, sharing with our Savior. So Lord, help plant joy in us. I pray, Lord, that for us this morning who are gathered, wrestling with various distractions or sins or just a sense of feeling crippled or stagnant. Father, I pray that you would use our time of praising you, time of prayer and entreating you and, and hearing from your word to strengthen, to encourage, to, to draw us closer to Christ Jesus, to transform into his likeness more and more each moment, each day. 
Lord, for those of us who are um, uh, in a season of um, contentment and joy, Lord, may our, our gaze be fixed on you. You are the giver of joy. You're the one who is the author and finisher of our faith. Had it not been for Christ, uh, we would be lost. And so, Lord, help us to have a great sense of gratitude for the work of Christ and the wonder of knowing him for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
let's rejoice in the truth of God's word through Psalm 23 together as we read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. shepherd I shall not want in green pastures he makes me lie down he restores my soul and leads me on for his name for his grace
surely mercy right beside me How are you? My name is Donald Betts, and I have the privilege this morning of praying with you and then also reading God's word. Please join me in prayer first. Lord, as I prepared for prayer, I was reminded of King David and the Psalms he wrote. In Psalm 86, 8 through 10 reads, Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Lord, we come to you this morning like King David, a sinner in need of a savior. Lord, as we come together in prayer, we pray first for our nation. Lord, there is such a political divide right now through social issues, through political issues. Lord, I pray as followers of Christ that we boldly engage in these conversations, but we do so in a way that glorifies and honors you. It's so tempting through social media to share opinions that could be misunderstood, but Lord, I pray we just engage in a way that ultimately draws people closer to you, that we have a biblical mindset and a reference point. Lord, I pray for the ministries of Providence Church. Lord, I pray for the leaders of these ministries, that you multiply their time as they do their day job, that you give them time to also focus on your word and to be able to teach and lead through the ministries of Providence. Lord, you have continued to bless our church through this crazy time of COVID. You've kept our doors open. You have kept us strong. Lord, I pray you just continue to help us be the lighthouse in the demographic you have placed us in. Lord, I also pray for the sick among us. There are many who are recovering from surgery or preparing for surgery or who have been affected through either loss of jobs or sickness because of COVID. I pray that your hand of mercy just be upon them. Help them to know that you are still sovereign, that you are in control of all things, and that we can ultimately trust in you through the good, through the bad. Lord, just give us peace and give those who are struggling peace. And lastly, Lord, I pray for Pastor Caleb as he comes up to prepare and preach your word today. Lord, he is such a blessing to our, to our church, him and Emily and their beautiful children. Lord, I pray you just continue to bless him and just challenge him and challenge us today as he brings his word. In your name we pray, amen. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, through chapter 4, verse 1. I'll be reading from the New King James Edition. 
chapter 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, and righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold for me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in the following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I, am told you, I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, which end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, body that it may be conformed in his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Caleb. I'm the pastor of student ministries here. And before we dive into God's word, would you, uh, would you join me in prayer? Father, we learn from the temptation of Jesus that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So, Father, we confess that we are hungry for you, and we ask that you would be among us this morning, that you would nourish us, and that you would grow us into the image of your Son. Father, would you be with me uh, for this time of ministry? Just ask that you uh, would fill my mouth with the words that you would have me to speak, and may all that is said and done here today bring honor and glory to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Everybody has a soapbox, right? That thing that they love to talk about, and it just seems to always work its way into conversation. When I was at Moody, there was one professor whose soapbox was relationships. The joke on campus was, if you took Greek grammar with him, you were getting intro to dating. And should you dare to take Greek exegesis, that meant you were ready for intro to engagement. 
But all jokes aside, he actually had a lot of great relational nuggets, like this one. Oh, guys, by now there's a girl that has caught your eye, and you are being winsome, you are being affectionate, you're putting in the work, and you're thinking, all I have to do is make it to the altar. Then I've done it. She's mine, and I can stop. Oh, no, no. No, no. Your efforts and affection cannot decrease once you're married. They must increase, because the race you think is almost over has actually just begun. Which is very similar to what Paul is talking about in our text this morning. Now, the text we're going to be looking at is actually a continuation of what we were talking about last week. And so if you weren't here, the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3 is Paul revealing to us how we might be righteous. Now, righteous and righteousness are, are terms that are often mystified in the church, but they simply mean to be acceptable to God. And we learn in verses 3 through 5 that Paul tried many different avenues to, to obtain this acceptableness to God. He tried his nationality, his lineage, his occupation, his religious adherence. But none of these were effective. They were all losses. Because the only thing that gains righteousness is knowing Jesus and having a personal relationship with him. And so our text closed last week with Paul finding what he was looking for. He found the way to be acceptable to God, how to experience his life-giving, life-transforming power. And the greatest part is he didn't have to do anything. It was the free gift of God in Jesus. And so you would expect, after this discovery, for Paul to say something like this in verse 12. So kick back. Relax. Jesus has got you covered. But that's not what he says, is it? Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, Paul is not implying that Jesus closed the gap and now our efforts make us acceptable to God. Rather, he's saying that the correct response to God's saving work is to strive after him. See, accepting Jesus is not the finish line, it's actually the starting point. And what Paul wants us to see is that if we have come to know Jesus as our Savior and King, if he has made us acceptable to God, then we need to be putting in the work to strive after him. And we're going to unpack this by looking at three things this morning. The method of striving, the problem with striving, and then the motive behind striving. So Paul uh, expounds on, on what the method of striving after Jesus is in verse 13. Look with me there. It says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul says that there is one thing that encompasses this method of striving, and it's actually two things. Part one is forgetting what lies behind. See, the past often functions like a ball and chain. It can slow us down and outright prevent us from moving forward. And if you know anything about Paul's past, you can understand why that might have shackled him. And can you imagine Paul laying in bed at night, replaying in his mind the death of Stephen as rock after rock chipped away and tore apart his body? 
Or, or can you imagine the screams of families being torn apart and handed over to the authorities before he came to Christ and him trying to get that out of his head? Maybe you can. Perhaps your past sins, your past failures keep you awake at night. Perhaps your mistakes and your transgressions keep you shackled in place, afraid to get too close to God, lest he be reminded of who you were. But can I remind you what our reality in Christ is? Romans 8.1 tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is who we are. No longer condemned because of Jesus. The ball and chain is gone. And that has to be the ruling narrative in our heads, because if we let the past tell the story, we will never strive past it. But failure is not the only thing that we have to leave in the past. We also need to shrug off past success. Uh, did any of you see the video of LeBron James uh, getting back to the gym just days after he won his fourth championship? It's like uh, within a week after they had won, he's in there, he's pumping iron, he's getting ready for the next season. And you see that and you think, man, LeBron, just take a break. Like you won, enjoy, relax. But do you know why he did it? You know why he went back just days after the last season ended? It's because he still wants to win. He wants to keep winning. And if he is fixated on past achievements, that means he's not getting ready for future ones. And the Apostle Paul was the same way. Paul is lauded as one of the greatest missionaries of all time. And at any point, he could have looked around and said, wow, look at all these churches that have been planted. Look at all these people who have come to know the Lord. I, I probably could take my foot off the gas a bit. But instead, he presses on. He forgets those past accomplishments and keeps striving which I, I think is a bit of a foreign concept when it comes to spiritual things for us. Uh, perhaps like me, maybe you've rested on your laurels a little bit. Maybe you've thought to yourself, you know, I've done a really good job getting up early and spending time with the Lord. I'm sure I could sleep in this week and it'd be fine. Or, or maybe you thought, you know what, I haven't struggled with this particular sin in a while. I bet I could let my guard down this weekend. But that logic doesn't work. It, 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 we won't move forward if we are simply reliving the past. Now, I, I'm not saying that our past has no value. Certainly, we should learn from past failures and mistakes. We should savor the successes in our Christian walk. But if we live there, if we live in the past, we'll never move forward. And so part one of the, the one thing that we do, this method of striving, is to forget what lies behind. But we also have to strain forward toward what is ahead. Now, I've been using this strain, strive language a lot without really defining it. And that's because Paul does that for us in verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, he helps us understand striving by using the illustration of running a race. Now, now think about it. How is running a race different than walking or strolling or meandering along? Uh, certainly your gait is different, right? The speed and intensity with which you move. But the thing that Paul is zooming in on is actually your gaze. So when you go for a walk, you're, you're looking all over the place. You're looking at the trees and the flowers and taking in the sights. But if you are running a race, 
you are locked in on the finish line. Go back and watch some of the final races of the 2016 Olympics and pay attention to their, their eyes. You'll notice that even if they're running the hurdles, they never look down. They are locked in on that finish line. And there's a reason for that. They want to win. They want the prize. They're not interested in a participation award. They want the gold, and they will do whatever it takes to get there. That's what striving is. It's an unencumbered, full-throttle pursuit of Jesus. This is Paul's method of striving. This is what he's calling us to, a life in full pursuit of knowing Jesus and living according to how he has laid out for us. And that is a lot of work. Oftentimes it is more work than we're keen to put in. But the problem with striving actually goes deeper than simply we don't want to work too hard at it. Uh, Apostle Paul explores what this problem is by talking about a group of people he refers to as the enemies of the cross of Christ. And he does so in verses 18 and 19. Look there with me. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, the first thing that we normally want to know when we read verses like this is, so who's he talking about? Who is Paul describing here? And scholars have proposed a lot of different options, but frankly, we don't know. The only thing we can say with some matter of certainty is that these individuals are presented as a contrast to the people Paul wants the Philippians to be like, such as himself, Timothy, or uh, Epaphroditus. And so it's, it's worth noting what the problem was with these enemies of the cross of Christ. And, and the nutshell answer to that is found in the last phrase of verse 19. They have set their minds on earthly things. Now, we tend to dichotomize the heart and the mind, don't we? The heart is the thing that handles emotions and feelings, whereas the mind handles logic and reason. And yet in Scripture, the heart and the mind are interwoven together. They make up command central, where all the thoughts, desires, and motives flow out of. And the command central of these people is set on the wrong things which is really another way of explaining what they're focused on. Rather than, than striving after Jesus, their focus lies elsewhere. It's kind of like trying to have a conversation with someone who's on their phone, right? Like, it's kind of working, but it, it's inevitably clear to you that they have set their mind on their phone and not you. And you know that because there's certain characteristics of that type of conversation, right? They won't maintain eye contact with you. Their part of the conversation is, yep, nope, uh-huh. They're just, it's clear that they have set their mind elsewhere. So there are certain characteristics of the person who has set their mind on earthly things. And Paul gives us three of them. He says that such an individual's God is their belly. Now, this doesn't mean that in the first century there was a group of people who were worshiping stomachs. Uh, see, the, the way that people believe the gods interacted with man was something like this. Man would want something, like rain for his crops or fertility. And in order to get that, he would do whatever the God demanded. And because of that desire, he was, in effect, ruled by the God. 
And so the idea here is that these people are ruled by their bellies, by their cravings. The thing that they want, the thing that they have set their minds on, determines how they live their life. It determines how they spend their time. It determines how they spend their money. It determines how they interact with other people. What they have set their mind on controls them. These people also glory in their shame. I don't know about you, but glory has always been one of those words that frustrates me because when people define it, they use equally unhelpful adjectives. They'll say things like, well, glory is splendor, or glory is beauty, or transcendence, or greatness. And that, that wasn't really helpful until you think of it as a verb. So when we glory in something, when we glorify something, we are saying that that thing is supreme. That to me, that thing is the greatest, most beautiful thing out there. And, and the problem with these enemies of the cross is they are glorifying the wrong things. Uh, Paul says that they glory in their shame, but that doesn't mean that these things are shameful or bad. Uh, they could be good things, and they most likely are. For there are several good things in the world, right? Relationships, financial security, etc., that are good but they do not deserve to be the ultimate thing. And finally, Paul tells us that the end of these individuals leads nowhere good. Now, we've seen this word end already in our text before, but earlier it's translated as goal or prize. And so Paul is simply telling us here that the, the thing that these individuals are aiming at, the, the prize that they are trying to achieve, is not going to result in them being found acceptable to God. And so these enemies of the cross of Christ were people who were fixated on and striving after earthbound substitutes. And Paul desperately wants the Philippians to not be like them. But I think the sobering reality is we tend to be like them, don't we? What I mean is when, when, I, when I look at my life and my strivings, at times I look a lot more like these people than I do Paul. My mind is more set on finding time to watch the season finale of WandaVision in a busy weekend than to find time to pray. My mind tends to wander to a game on my phone than to the Psalms. See, this is the problem with striving. Our minds, our, our command central is just not in it. It's set elsewhere. Well, then we simply need to try harder. We need to buckle down and force ourselves to set our eyes on Jesus just like Paul did. And you're right, but it's not that simple. See, striving must be accompanied with right motive. See, there's more than one motive for striving after Jesus. And I think we see this well illustrated in the movie Chariots of Fire. If you're unfamiliar with the film, it tells the true story of two uh, British Olympic runners, Harold Abrams and Eric Lytle. Uh, both competed in the 1924 Olympic Games. Both were excellent runners who took gold in their respective races. But the reason they ran was markedly different. When asked why he runs, Abrams explains that when the gun goes off, he has 10 seconds to justify his existence, that his acceptance is dependent on how well he runs. And that's held in contrast with Eric, who really had a bizarre way of running. See, when he would run, he would throw his arms back and tilt his face to the sky. And his posture in running was actually a testament to why he was doing it. 
See, he explains in the film to his sister Jenny that when he runs, he feels God's pleasure. Do you hear the difference? One is running to be justified, to be accepted. The other is running because he has been justified, because he's been accepted. And I think the temptation in striving is to run like Abram's, that our striving is what determines our acceptance. And that just turns us into legalists, uh, people who are doing the right things, but we do so out of fear and slavish obedience to make sure that God has to give us that which he promised us. The striving that Paul has in mind is born out of something different entirely. He explains what our motive and mindset is in verses 20 and 21. In contrast to those who set their minds on earthly things, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the way we run, the way that we strive. It has to be by setting our mind on the greatness and power of Jesus. He has to be the thing we fix our eyes on. And here's why that changes things. See, Jesus doesn't just have power. He used that power to set us right. He came to earth in human likeness to strive in the way that you and I could not, to live a life in complete obedience and be acceptable to God. But he did this so that he could take our place. Jesus knew no sin and yet became sin for us so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. God found such favor in you that through Jesus, he made you acceptable. And that's what changes things. See, when we grasp his great love for us and his delight in us, we don't run to earn it. We run because of it. Now, that doesn't mean that you will enjoy every step of the journey. I think we bought into this idea that striving is a lot like a runner's high, that when we set our minds on Jesus, the Christian life will become effortless and a great delight. And that is true sometimes. But oftentimes, it is hard work, much like running normally is. But we have to keep striving just like runners keep running because the end is worth it. Jesus is worth it. But that doesn't mean that we don't need help. I was talking to a friend this week about her first 50-mile race, and she was telling me that it was about mile 27 that she, uh, she was ready to quit. She had actually stopped at a first aid tent, and she had expected that to be the end of her race until another runner came along and beckoned her to rejoin the race. And so they ran side by side, and then another person ended up joining their group, and these three ran together, encouraging each other, urging each other to press on for the prize. And she is convinced that she would have never finished that race alone. Please hear me when I say this. You cannot finish this race alone. You need people who will run with you, who will urge you on, who will rejoice and weep with you throughout the race. That's how we keep our eyes on the prize. That's how we make it across the finish line. 
together. So how's your striving? Have you been standing at the starting point like it's the finish line? Or, or, or maybe you've made some headway, but now you're stuck and not sure how to press on. Can I encourage you this morning? Run. Run. Pursue knowing your God and his design for you. But do so with your arms out, your face skyward, and with a brother or sister in Christ by your side. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus you have seen fit to make us acceptable to you, that out of your great kindness and mercy, uh, you, you have made a way for us to be righteous. We thank you and you, we praise you for that. And Father, I confess that uh, it is very easy to cease striving, to uh, rest on our laurels, to just take it easy. Would you forgive us, Father? And God, would you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to set our eyes on you? Uh, Father, would you give us such a desire to, to race after you, not to earn your favor, but because we have it. And, for, and Father, for those who are this time trying to run along, would you bring someone alongside them? Would you give them the desire to pursue someone to run along beside and now, Father, would you, uh, would you be blessed and pleased as we continue to sing your praises? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, let's stand together and respond in singing. Fortress is our God, our bulwark never failing. Our helper, He amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. Armed with cruel hate, on earth is not as equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the middle of God's own truth? Ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is in the Lord of hosts, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo,
You can be seated. Um, we're going to continue to worship this morning by partaking in communion. And uh, I have to ask that if Jesus is not your Savior and King to abstain from this part. You know, there are two things that Christians need to be constantly reminded of. One is that you are far worse than you like to think. You are far more evil, rotten, vile, despicable than you like to acknowledge. The other thing is that you are far more loved than you can ever imagine. And that's what communion declares to us this morning. As we take the bread, which represents his body, the cup, the contents of which represent his blood, we have a vivid, visual demonstration of the great love with which God loved you. You were purchased not with silver or gold, but with the precious body and blood of Christ. So I invite you just to take a moment of reflection, give thanks to God for that. I'll pray and we'll partake together. Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us in Jesus, that while we were still sinners, while we were still your enemies, Christ died for us. We acknowledge that we are undeserving of being your children, and yet we, we thank you for the lavish love that declares that we are your sons and daughters. We thank you for this. We